0: You're listening to the AID Network.
1: Hey friends, I'm here to tell you about completely custom notebooks from my friends over at JackPrints.com. Don't forget, they're great for merchandise, gifts, and giveaways. Get an order started and create your own custom 48-page pocket-sized notebooks without any manufactured watermarks or logos. That means the only brand that your customers are going to see are yours or your clients if you're doing a little market up. Choose the size, choose the cover stock. Whatever's perfect for your project, Jack Prince is going to help you get it out there. And one of three printed interior page styles. You can decide if it's blank, lined, or gridded. You know your customer, you know the project. That's why the customization is always up to you. And here's one of the best parts. Jack Prince has been doing custom notebooks for so long that you can get an instant price just for your project. Choose between two sizes, five and a half or 7 and a half inches, Choose your stock from glossy to fancy. Whatever you want to do, Jack Prince is going to help you make a perfect custom notebook. Head over to jackprince.com slash circle of trust to save. Friends, I know it better than anyone. It's easy to get caught up in life, get moving fast, and normally when that happens, you start overpaying for things. Because you get sloppy, because you're just trying to get things done. That's why I want to urge you to pump the brakes and head over to Online. It's quick and easy to sign up, get your shipping sorted, and know that you're always paying the proper price for whatever you send out. You'll ship with confidence knowing that you're always paying the lowest rates possible and choosing the proper carrier, whether it's USPS, UPS, or FedEx. By using the SendPro easy-to-use all-in-one online tool, you'll be able to gain access to special USPS savings for letters and priority mail shipping. So do yourself a favor today and sign up for SendPro online. It's only $14.99 a month, and for being an Adventures in Design listener, you can get a free 30-day trial, plus a free 10-pound scale to help you accurately weigh all of your packages. Visit pb.com slash design to access the special offer. That's pb.com slash design. Experience the better way to ship with the free trial of SendPro online and stop overpaying for shipping. This is the story of a beautiful place known as the happiest place on earth and all of its history, its secrets, and its tricks that you may find if your mind believes in design and you allow your heart to believe in magic. Step inside and become a citizen of Disneyland. Welcome, citizens of Disneyland, to the fourth episode of Disneyland for Designers. Over the last three months, we've explored the quiet places of Disneyland and how we hope they never go away. The legacy of Snow White and how she helped get Disney up and off the ground. And we started this conversation looking at the perfection of Main Street USA. But today, let's move south let's take a walk over to Disney's California adventure. And for the last 18 years, DCA, as it's known by the Disney community, has had a rocky start. But year after year, project after project, and park trip after park trip, it started to find its identity. It started to find its way into the hearts of Disney fans. So let's start this journey with its largest land, Paradise Pier and its design, inspiration, fun facts, and troubled history, and its transformation into Pixar Pier. So let's walk through the front gate, take a right at Grizzly Peak, and work our way all the way up San Francisco Street, where we stop and catch our breath as Mickey greets us in the center of the Disney Pier, an amusement park designed inside of an amusement park. It's the Attractions of Pixar Pier, Disneyland for Designers, Episode 4. Citizens of Disneyland, welcome back because we are here so excited to talk to each and every one of you about disney's california adventure we're going inside the gate of the sister park for the first time ever on disneyland for designers jared how are you sir tired but here
0: and happy to be doing this
1: well i want to i want to thank you so much for including me in your trip out here while you're doing signing we're literally doing this on a saturday night you spent all saturday uh signing at wonderground gallery signing inside a california adventure yes
0: what a what a busy day yeah yeah but it's always fun i mean you know, these are the extra bonus things that you get to come out and do this and talk to guests and, and sign autographs and take pictures and pretend like you're a celebrity. So you know, it's it's fun. It's a it's a good time. It's always nice to
1: meet people that enjoy your artwork, and yeah. you know, being an artist can be a very lonely and isolating thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's always nice to be like, oh, there are people on the other side of these. Transactions, these sales. Like yeah. this is what the people look like that actually buy my work. Like it's
0: neat to see where the product goes sometimes. Yeah, that's it's a lot of fun to come out and, and pretend to be a humble person and gracious and not an egomaniac. So yeah, mm-hmm. whenever I can. Well, that's that's <laughs> a
1: hard act for some of us to portray. So today what we're gonna be looking at is we're gonna be looking at the attractions of Paradise Pier. And talking about how it morphed into Pixar Pier. Now, I'm going to give everybody... I always like to lay out the rules early so people go, You didn't talk about this, Bricky! Well, (laughs) I tell you, I got it all planned out. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at the five major attractions of the Paradise Pier area. So, therefore... If you go across the big bridge, you start at the Incredicoaster, and you end where the inside-out attraction will go. Mm -hmm. The next area is called Paradise Gardens Park. Now, that is a very rough part of DCA. (laughs) It it still is like the last hangover from the origins of the park, which everybody knows this park when it opened up, mm-hmm. got off to a rocky start, and it's been a lot of massaging it and fixing it, which is going to be a big focus of today's episode, and a lot of talking about sort of the design elements and the, the reimagining of we have this thing that's halfway built or all the way built. It's a lot of... Crowbarring in mm-hmm. new ideas to something that already existed, which is good problem solving, good creative design thinking. I mean, most of us would love to just every day open up a document, Apple In, fresh start. But sometimes <laughs> you got to get in there, and client already has a logo, or restaurant already exists. Like you don't always get in on the ground floor. So today's right. looking at a lot of the problem solving that has gone on in this part of the park. But what I have in front of me here is the original pitch for Paradise Pier I want to read this to you this was what Disney said to the audience this is what they said to their fans this is what we're going to do with your parking lot they said add a dash of the bygone days of California's legendary surfside boardwalks to the excitement of a seaside resort and top it off with a heaping helping of Disney magic and you've got Paradise Pier a land at Disney's California Adventure TM park dedicated to the fantastic golden age of amusement parks jam-packed with wild attractions collectible dinners and unique shops Hmm. it's fun in the sun for everyone my question for you
0: (laughs) did this promise deliver hmm First of all, where did this come from? Was this on like the website for, for what was coming or like a brochure or something? Or? Yeah,
1: there, there, so there was a welcoming
0: center Yeah. and there was press releases.
1: And this is basically was their paragraph, how they pitched it to everybody. And I want to just circle in on one thing here. Mm-hmm. With a heaping helping of Disney magic. Right. They promised Disney magic for Paradise Pier out of the gate. Yeah. I wasn't a Californian uh, citizen at this time. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't see this park till much, much later. But I've damn near watched every YouTube documentary that exists on it. Mm-hmm. I've read every article that one could find on the internet. After all, Disney is my bedtime story. Yes. And the number one complaint was when you went into California Adventure, mm-hmm. there was a major lack of Disney magic. Right. And I would be so intrigued to know what they saw what they were doing is magic because the problem of this part of the park was out of the gate because they had a lack of funds. If you've ever seen what the park was originally supposed to be, it was supposed to be Westcott, which mm, is going to be the West right. Coast version of EPCOT. Yeah, massive, ambitious. They were losing a lot of money with the foreign parks expanding overseas, and so they came up with the idea of well, if you make a you know lands. Inspired by things Mm -hmm. that are cheaper, like a boardwalk, we can do this on a budget, which I think that that has come back to haunt them over and over again, just how cheap the framework of DCA is. Mm
0: yeah but uh, so how much of that do you think was solved with i mean the the fixes have come over the years they've come in shifts they've come in Mm -hmm. waves of of things and 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 certainly these are big projects these are not small fixes to made. but i mean do you think that that addresses that have they addressed that completely and we can just say well it's a matter of time before they finish or do you think there's still problems in what we're seeing in this new stuff
1: well i think as we look at the five attractions today and we look at each of their individual histories and mm-hmm. the path that they've been on, I think we're going to kind of come to some conclusions of it's a lot of putting a bandaid on things. Right. And even though some of these new installations are perfect on their own, or I won't say perfect, but solid on their own. right? How is it all coming together as one piece? I right. think that's sort of the thesis for what we're looking at today. And, and by all means, Don't roll your eyes. Don't get bumped at me. I want to just say out of the the gate, I absolutely love Disney's California Adventure. I think of it as the locals park. Um, It's a great place to start your Disney adventure. Like, I really, really love this park. Mm -hmm. But when you love something, you want the best for it. Right, right. Of course. You know? And my my love will never let me go into anything blind. But here's what's kind of wild is that I looked at all of the original concept art Uh for this land. For the original pier. For the original pier. Right. For the 2001, Mm -hmm. that's when the the park opened up, right? Yeah. For the 2001 rollout, I looked at all of the artist comps. Now, normally, that blue sky Disney fast and loose illustration, Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody who's listening to this went nuts when we saw the renderings for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Right. You look up old uh, photos or of illustrations of you know the Jungle Cruise or Frontierland or or New Orleans Square, and you just you love that artwork. Mm -hmm. This artwork looked like bad '80s Miami Vice cocaine on the coffee table artwork. (laughs) Like it looked like artwork that would be in in like a bad strip mall nail salon,
0: yeah, or like some kind of realtor. Artwork yeah. Something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like who makes the artwork that's in hotels? I have no idea where that comes from. I've interviewed hundreds of artists, stayed in hundreds of hotel rooms. I, I don't, the two worlds never touch. I don't understand hotel room art.
0: Right. No, I agree. So one queasy thing about that for me is like, I don't blame the artist for this. right? No. Like someone worked really hard on that, and hopefully they got paid well for that. But it's like they were art directed to do this thing, and that's what they came from. So we're not... It rolls down from management. Yes. For
1: sure. Because yes. the guy who's at the art board, the lady who's sitting there doing all this with the Prisma pencils, mm-hmm. she's like, she's just giving something to illustrate. Right. right. She doesn't have the checkbook. Right. She, she's <laughs> not also engineering the rides. So it was interesting when I looked at all of this artwork. Yeah. This original vision of this particular part of the park, everything has had to be either removed or reimagined. Hmm. And that's wild because when we historically look at Disneyland, we started out this podcast talking about Main Street USA. Right. It hasn't changed. Right. It's yeah. just had extra layers of paint put on it. It's been finessed, mm-hmm. but it's damn near perfect out of the gate. This is a very problem area, this this park. Um What was interesting about it, though, and I think what a lot of us came to love about its original rollout and the different stages is it is nice walking around the water. Mm -hmm, Always. Even though we live on the ocean, Anaheim is landlocked. Yeah. And there's just something about being around the beautiful palm trees next to the water. The fact that they actually did put boardwalk in there and, you know, you go from walking on... Nicely poured concrete, but into the the boardwalk area. And then it always had a nice nightlife to it. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the little popcorn bulb lights everywhere. Right. Like it always had a very nice vibe to it. But that would end up changing and we're in the middle of this evolution of Paradise Pier as becoming Pixar Pier, which the idea is to take this stretch of DCA and turn it into Neighborhoods creating different neighborhoods for different properties inside of the Pixar universe. And it's just interesting that it was built to be one big sweeping panoramic vibe, mm-hmm. a throwback to the golden age of California's coast. And now we're compartmentalizing it into these little bite-sized components. Right. And yesterday was the grand opening of uh, Jesse's Carousel beautiful little little attraction, yeah. but really wedged into a very interesting parcel of land. They did a good job of fitting a lot in a small footprint, Mm -hmm. but I questioned sort of the footprint. So over the years, the one thing that they tried to tie together with was the adding in of a Victorian style. Right. Right. And as you and I did our walkthrough before recording today, that's becoming very disjointed right it's almost like no two things match and you had it a beautiful way of summarizing how it feels today you said it's like when you're a kid you throw all your toys out on the floor <laughs> and next thing you know gi joe is battling with he-man and here comes darth vader to save right, the day
0: exactly in a lego house and uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah you know a couple toys from your sisters that fell into the room <laughs> right, and you're like right. barbie's a hostage right. now yeah so that being that nothing's wrong with those individual toys no it's just that it looks a little odd when they're crushed together like that.
1: So let's go in and sort of look at it. Piece by piece, we want to take you on this adventure right now where we look at all five major attractions and sort of go through the design, the theming, mm-hmm. the history of all five of them. And then at the end, we'll sort of look at it as an entire piece and sort of figure out where we think that it's going.
0: Let me ask you this before we dive into the first attraction, though. Sure. So, the first, when you first enter that pier area, which is not an attraction, it's shops and the restaurant, mm-hmm. and that's probably where the Victorian theming still exists and it's probably the strongest and most effective because this is right. your entrance to this area and it's dramatic and it looks great at night. What what is your opinion on that look there? Because we're going to lose that look the minute we get past it and it's going to become this new thing. But how do you feel about that Victorian look uh, before, you know, pre-Pixar? So I love that look. Yeah. Because I
1: like so many other people including Walt Disney I came to California with a dream. Mm -hmm. And anything that represents California represents my dream and my ambitions. So to be able to come here with my lovely wife when we didn't have that much money and in year one when we moved out here, Uh we spent our entertainment budget on our Disneyland passes. So to be able to come here on a date night, hold hands, walk around the beautiful California pier Mm -hmm. that's safe, clean, immaculate, Always has a fresh coat of paint on it, right It was very magical, yeah, and it's going to be hard for me to let that go for lots and different properties, right Some that are more valuable than others in the test of time. Mm-hmm. So without giving too much away, I like the idea of lands. And mm-hmm. the neighborhood is a new concept. Right,
0: right. Okay. And,
1: and it, so it's a little bit of a sort of, um, it's a little bit of a struggle to kind yeah. of see it. But also, this is the new thing that Disney's doing is laying things out, fixing problems in real time
0: mm-hmm.
1: and doing them in, in chapters. Yes. So when Marvel Land opens up, it's going to be another patch it up, fix it guy. Get something out. Get something out. Fix a dead hole in our park. it. Get yeah. people over from uh, Disneyland proper. It's not a. It's not Galaxy's
0: Edge. Right.
1: Like the one thing you got to say about Galaxy's Edge, it is a true Disneyland level attraction. Yeah. Because it's well thought out, immersive. It, it's carved in its plot of land. Right. They didn't say, well, let's just do the Millennium Falcon piece and then we'll go from there. Or let's turn Tomorrowland
0: into Star Wars land. Yeah.
1: They knew better. Right. They really knew better. Which that should make us all very excited about what. The future holds for something like Tomorrowland, which we all agree is broken. Um, so, this is a this is a, an idea for DCA where it's done in baby steps. Mm-hmm. Part of me resents it because the big grandiose rollout of something like Cars Land, which yeah. I was here for, is fantastic. But part of me loves it because it's like SimCity; mm. it's happening as we're living in it. Right there's a there's a little bit of a you know each way. You know, one is good, one is bad.
0: Yeah, that's a real park fan perspective, though, I think, to, to look at it from that thing. Whereas most of the people that are just coming for a visit don't, you know, they don't understand uh, or they don't have that perspective of like, oh, it's neat to see this thing roll out. Right. Right. They're just either confused or this thing is closed or where's that other thing? Or
1: they're simply with two kids that they've brought out from God only knows where in this planet and they're just trying to get them to see all of their favorite people right. from movies as fast as possible.
0: So how much, uh, I know we're getting a little off track here, but how much of this do you think is invisible to most people? Like this storytelling stuff is very important to us who are big fans of the park and, and the history of the park and Walt Disney and things like that. Do you think it's lost on a majority of the audience or do they, are they subconsciously picking up on it? Like I could see where they're talking about this in a boardroom and thinking like, yeah. It doesn't matter. We'll make neighborhoods and we'll, you know, only the hardcore fans are going to know that we call these neighborhoods. No one else is going to care.
1: You know, I want to, I want to say that everybody cares. Yeah. But quite honestly, most people just want to crush what they call rides. Yeah. They don't even <laughs> use the term attractions. They just want to crush rides. Right, right. And they just want to get them and their family on things, you know, because when you ride, I rode the tram home last night. To the, mm-hmm. drove the tram home. Took me all the way to Long Beach. <laughs> Rode the tram back to Mickey and Friends. And I was listening to people talk. And they were comparing how many things did you ride? Mm-hmm. Which to me says, you're from out of town. Right. And that's a very different perspective. So I want to think that most people just go there and they just, they, they're just ripping whatever they can get done in a day. Mm-hmm. But then after you got done with your signing today and I was waiting for you to get all your stuff, I heard a woman, her and her girlfriend, they come around the corner, and there it is, Paradise Pier, Pixar Pier. She goes, look, it's Pixar Pier. She kind of pauses and goes, I might do better the other way. (laughs) So people are aware of things, but I think that the theming, it should be done so good that it's not noticed. Yes. Because bad theming is obvious, and everybody knows that the uh, Paradise Gardens area is cheap. They're off-the-shelf attractions. Mm. It, it's broken. Like that jellyfish ride, that is just embarrassing that it's on a Disney property. <laughs> right, I mean, rad right. Right if that was in my backyard. Right. Like right. you should go to my friend Mark's house. He's got this cool ride in the side yeah. of his yard. Yeah. But in a Disney backyard? Hey, friends. I hope you're having a good time listening to episode four of Disneyland for Designers. If you could do us a solid favor, please give the episode and the series a positive review wherever you listen to the show and we'll take as many stars as you'll give us. That helps the show grow and continue to show up each and every month. And while we're asking for favors, please share your love of Disneyland for designers on your favorite platform of social media. I would say the heart of DCA, they wanted to kind of make it Carthay circle, right? Like they wanted to have that vibe of mm-hmm. that's our building and they try to brand that a lot before that. They really wanted to brand the the Grizzly Peak, right. right? Which is just seems to have really no social right
0: capital at all. Yeah, other than it was in the first logos
1: yeah. prominently. Yeah. But nobody seems attached to that right at all. But what really changed and became the heart of the park was what was the originally the Sun Wheel, which is mm-hmm. where we'll start today, which oh, okay. know, has evolved over the years. This is what they promised us. When the sun will is going to open. Okay. You ready? I love looking <laughs> yeah. at the promise. These are great, yeah. Okay. Modeled after Coney Island's 1927 Wonder Wheel, Paradise's Pierce Sun Wheel takes guests on a Ferris wheel ride high above Disney's California Adventure TM Park. You can play it a bit safer by riding one of the cool stationary gondolas Mm. or a thrill climb into one of our purple and orange gondolas, which ride on an interior rail so they slide inward and outward with centrifugal force of the wheel's rotational movement. Now, I want to tell you something. When they say modeled after the Coney Island 1927 Wonder Wheel, it is an exact ripoff of the Coney Wheel. Oh, it is? Exact ripoff. Shape of the cars and everything, huh? Shape of the cars. Same amount of cart systems. The eight that are stationary is the same. The 16 that slide around is the same. Oh. It is the same wheel. Just
0: one says Wonder Wheel on it. And one had a sun god on it. Huh. Oh, I didn't know they matched it that, that much. Because those sliding cars are terrifying. Have you ridden the sliding cars? That's on my list of I will never do this. Except
1: for, I'm thinking about this. I have a list of things I'll never do. Yeah. But if there's ever a thing like, hey, if we can get you know, X amount of people to, to do this or do that for right. the podcast... What you get in return is you get a YouTube video of me riding the things that I can't ride. <laughs> right. Teacups. Uh, <laughs> Teacups, California Screaming. There you go. Or Incredicoaster, you know, this ride on the those swingy ones. So let's do this. Let's look at the the design of it first. Let's, okay. Let's sort of look at the design. One of the things that they did really right, which is a brilliant part of it, is it's lowered into mm-hmm. the water. Right. And I don't know if guests think about this, because when you walk up on it, you're like, oh, it's lowered into the water. And there's always that weird little like whirlpool that mm-hmm. happens there in right. the water. But if you think about this from a designer's perspective, what it does is it takes this massive wheel, it lowers it down. So when you're on the other side of the bay, it, A, makes it seem bigger and further away, and it makes the reflection
0: that greater because it's already at the water plane. Right. Right. So there's not this big structure underneath it. Yeah. Yes. Right.
1: Because if it was up in the air, mm-hmm. it would, you would know how far away it is. But the fact that it's in the water makes it feel like it's on a further horizon line. Right. So when you look at it, it feels further away because right. you're already losing a bit of it. Right. So it's one of those forced perspective gimmicks.
0: Yeah. And it is amazing because when you're standing on the other side, you don't get a sense that it, it like, like you're not aware that it's sinking into the water. per se. It just looks like this big by far the biggest thing in like the part like yeah from the impact of it i think um but yeah that's true and and being inside the water puts it on the
1: other side of like a horizon line and you're, you're it just makes it feel as if it's much further than what it is right. which is always the trick of taking a relatively small plot of land mm-hmm. and trying to you know maximize it to give that impact feeling the original Sunface was designed after um ornamental mexican folk art And it had a very, like, 70s, like, you know, Azteca, you know, sort of vibe to it. What they did, though, that was clever is the face would stay stationary as the wheel would turn. Mm -hmm. Which that's good storytelling because you have one thing that's basic and you have another thing that's moving around. Right. is almost kind of an optical illusion on your eye. As far as we look at the design of it, this is one of the things that I love about Disneyland and how things evolve. You want to talk about problem solving, the genius, the genius that said, eventually we have all of these people that load in for watercolor. color. Mm-hmm. They're sitting there and they're bored. The fact that somebody was able to take the wheel when it was Mickey's fun wheel and turn it into an iPhone video game. Yeah. Yes. That's the type of design thinking that I absolutely adore mm-hmm. because it's it's literal problem solving of we have all these people lined on the banks for a nighttime show. We tell them to get there 30 minutes before the show. What if we turn our fun will into a giant Simon says? Yeah. Give them a color pattern. First person that can mimic that color pattern fastest Gets to control the lights in the wheel for thirty seconds.
0: Right, right.
1: That's the type of stuff I love because when we look at this original design, years and years back, mm-hmm. it was never intended for that. Right. So right. that's the type of like evolution that I really, really love. But the theme of this was on base because California um, did have lots of different. Uh, Fun wheels and and Ferris wheels up and down the coastline. So it was on theme for the original, but now today there's only a few of these left. And starting in the bottom, there's San Diego, uh, up here in Santa Monica, Mm -hmm. and then Santa Cruz. So some of these are still around, but thematically, it was telling the story. And I love that they did a nod to the Mexican folk art, sort of bringing in at that time you know, the local culture. Yeah. Cause Disneyland yeah. was made with, by white guys with shovels. Right. So sort of making it more modern for mm-hmm. the California that it was representing. Like that all is great for me. But when they say the, the inspiration of the the wheel, it was based on something that already existed. And to the fact it was pretty much a copy of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it had all of the same exact pieces same ride system and even down to the same amount of carts. The only thing that really makes it different is there's a little bit of a height difference between the two of them.
0: Oh, okay. So this DC is DCA's bigger. It's bigger. Okay.
1: But it's just interesting to me that they would literally, that goes to show the budget that this part was built on, you know, that they cloned mm-hmm. something that already existed. And, one could argue, well, that makes it more to Authentic. the
0: theme. Authentic. Oh yeah.
1: But that's very un Disney in another way. I mean, they are supposed to be the originators, right. the innovators. Right. And to literally like, you know, copy something mm-hmm. that hardcore to the point where you could get sued for it. It just feels very off brand.
0: Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I mean if you take like the the Epcot model and i think maybe if that was their thinking like uh just applying you know epcot goes more cultural international but we're going to stay local and go california so let's try to like would that make it more authentic to sort of you know like it just kept going in that direction like well they have this many spokes so we're going to have this many spokes or you know like because that's the i think one of the problems with doing these sort of tribute things is yeah. how do you Add that layer of, like it said in the description, Disney magic. So That it's not just, you know, the Golden Gate Bridge, but here it is in a smaller version, but it's exactly the same. Like, yeah, what's that concept?
1: It's almost as if there's one set of rules that Disneyland adheres to. Mm -hmm. And then when they go across the way, the asparanta, it's like (laughs) the rules don't exist anymore. Yeah, or different. Different set of rules. Looser. (laughs) Very loose rules. Like you can see out of the park. You can see gates, you can see service entrances. Like there is a high level of expectations at Disneyland. Mm-hmm. And then DCA doesn't meet those expectations. And f- let's say for whatever reason, like I got hired to to run DCA. Sure. Like I was taking it over. One of the first things I would say is the relaxed days are over. Mm. We are not a second tier park. Right. We are a Disneyland resort park. Yeah. And we are gonna Get this park to the same level of storytelling, immersion, and overall customer experience that you get across the way.
0: Do you think the charm or, or, or the appeal is it possible to be the same as Disney, or do they shoot for something else in that park? Because Disney is kind of Disneyland has its own special thing, and to try to emulate that would seem difficult, right? So, do absolutely, you bring a cool vibe or something to the but do you here's see a modern thing. vibe. I, I I think that. That's an easy way to
1: to get sort of confused on the two because, no, we don't need to make a second Disneyland because right. it already exists. It's right over there. You can see it. But what we do make, no matter whether we're doing a Bugs Land or a Marvel Land or a Pier, it should at least be to our own style guide, yeah. our own company right. expectations. Right. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people notice different, that it's not at that same level of Expectation. Mm-hmm. Like they got lazy or cheap or relaxed with it. And that kind of carries over. So a lot of the things that we're looking at is fixing when that was really bad. Yeah. But then it begs the question of can it be saved? Right. Right. So here are some interesting fun facts about it. the the original wheel in Brooklyn is 135 feet. This will is 160 feet. Mm. So Bigger, but not massively bigger. And it's taller than the Matterhorn by 13 feet. Really? And 13 stands for the letter M. That's right. Is that, did we just uncover a Disneyland secret that they don't want you to, 10 Disneyland secrets they don't want you to know?
0: (laughs) Do you, when you think about that, that's kind of amazing, isn't it? Because the Matterhorn, is it just the presence and the position in a tiny park that makes the Matterhorn seem... So tall, like the, the impact of those seem so different. That's I'll tell you why. I had
1: no idea. One Matterhorn is by itself mm-hmm. and all of the trees around it are groomed to make it look tall mm. and it's juxtaposition next to the castle gives it height. But over across the way in, Cal- in California Adventure, where we don't have those same set yeah. of design rules, we have a beautiful fun wheel, smack dab 25 feet from a giant roller coaster. Right. There's no room to give it depth
0: or no to let it breathe. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's interesting. So that's that's sort of one of those things. The Mickey Mouse face that they would end up placing on it is recognizable from the opening frames of the Walt Disney's Mickey Mouse color cartoon shorts. Mm. But one part of it is not period specific. They end up putting pie eyes in it to make it feel more vintage. Mm. But that actual logo that's in front of the shorts has the normal eye in it. Oh, really? Yeah. So they ended up doing the pie eye to just sort of make it feel even more
0: vintage. More 30s, 40s. Yeah, kind of more yeah. of the
1: area that it was in. Uh, the swinging gondolas have motion sickness bags in them, <laughs> which that's a problem, right? Yeah. When you know something's that rough and you got to put that in there, that is... Uh, That seems a little crazy. And that type of Ferris wheel is referred to as an eccentric wheel, Hmm. which is where they have a conventional Ferris wheel just has carts that are on the outer perimeter, and an eccentric wheel has the moving ones on the inside. So it's an actual kind of cart
0: system. Did you have to look that up? I did. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, I wanted to know what that was. So now let's look at the history of it. It opened 18 years ago. And in that 18 years it's had three rebrands. Yeah. Think about how many things have been in Disneyland for 55 60 years that haven't had to be rebranded right. once. Right. That goes to show the problem of it. Uh, February 8, 2001, it was the Sun Wheel. It would stay that way until October 14th of 2008. So only 7 years was it the original format of it.
0: And that's primarily the golden sun face
1: yeah. that they had. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So the front face would come off and they would replace it with Mickey, but the sun still stays on there today. That would go down in May of 2009. So uh, it's been a decade of Mickey being on the front of the attraction. Wow. Yeah. And that time when it would become rebranded as Mickey's Fun Wheel, Minnie Mouse, Donald Duck, Pluto, and Goofy would all be added on the carts. Uh, to be consistent with the introduction of Disney characters at Paradise Pier. Mm. New LED lighting effects now illuminate the attraction for the World of Color attraction that would, would be coming in the water there and really make it stand out. And then in 2013, they added more lights behind it oh. when they also put lights all over the, ro- the roller coaster to just make that even more interactive with the World of Color show. So when you add those lights all over it, you put Mickey on it, it took eight years to actually promise on that Disney magic. Huh. And then, as we know, last year, June of last year, it would become the Pixar Round. which becomes <laughs> interesting because we have Mickey's face on a Pixar attraction, and the color scheme would change from red to blue, back to blue. And the reason why it's a Pixar attraction is because we have stickers. On the carts <laughs> of different Pixar characters. Right. Now, there was a rumor that they might put the Pixar ball on, on the, front the front of the roller coaster.
0: Replacing Mickey's face.
1: I say you replace
0: Mickey's face mm-hmm. with a ball. Yeah. get ready for these people to burn this place down right, right 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 you know maybe a few years ago before the mickey it wouldn't have been so tragic but because that has taken over as this iconic part of the park now the most i think they use it probably the most right as a visual representation of a representation of this park that now it would seem odd it would make sense mm-hmm. but it would be odd well that
1: goes to show the whole like You know, Disney's California Adventure is something that's evolving in real time. Mm -hmm. So they fix one thing, they break two other things, then they come up with an idea, but then they're like, well, we've already kind of committed to this. So does this idea totally work? Yeah. I mean, the Pixar pal around, they could have just kept it Mickey's Fun Will featuring his friends from Pixar. Right. right. You know, like the the name, I'm not calling it that. Yeah. It's Mickey's Fun Will. Like the face on it is in all my picks it's mm-hmm. in my heart it's on your merch i don't pay attention to the stickers on the
0: gondolas right so would you be okay if they just kept that if they never just changed rethemed that or, or felt the need to make that force fit into the pixar appear or is that i
1: mean it's upsetting there. yeah it's not going to go away i mean the only thing is, is i just think that the name is just silly yeah because it's the sign's gorgeous the sign is gorgeous yeah but sign was gorgeous before right And, you know, there you go. They got that little splash of Victorian. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, this attraction is the notorious one for the park. Yeah. It's the heart of the park. There's just something about seeing that big, welcoming Mickey face, Mm -hmm. a perfectly illustrated cartoon character, you know, and just really the ambassador, the heart of it. Like, and the fact that it's a vintage face always felt so good on the old pier. You know, I mean, that's. As far as Mickey faces go, that's a perfect Mickey face, yep, there's a lot of different incarnations of him, but that's a perfect one
0: and that would probably be correct me if I'm wrong the biggest representation of Mickey in any of our well in California or Disneyland right for we sure don't have him up that big or even that's like the first attraction that's named Mickey. That has Do we him have on another it. Mickey attraction I mean you can go to his house right, but even that's just it's his house meet and Mickey's great. toontown, I guess it's called but but then you don't no. have a big Mickey Head representing that, yeah. No, and that's them pulling out the
1: big guns because they knew they had a problem. Right. And they had to do something fast. They went for the heart with that, yeah. You know, I always like to speculate on what could the future of attractions be. Mm -hmm. And really the only thing, I mean, this, this attraction's pretty perfect. Yeah. It does break one of my major rules is that it allows you to see out of the park. Oh. But Ferris wheels are kind of known for giving you the look of everywhere you're at and everything around you, you know, Mm -hmm. you go to a a carnival or a state fair and you're like, there's where we parked. Right. So I'll I'll let that part of it slide. Yeah. But the only thing that I would, I think that should be improved and hopefully with technology, this will happen. I would love to see a nighttime show in the world of color area Uh where it's hosted by Mickey mouse. Yeah. And that face talks. Right. Right. And it feels like with projection technology, we're probably not too far off because they do have now they put a scrim over Mickey's face that allows them to Project. use that as a screen. Uh-huh. But I keep wondering why isn't the fun wheel talking to us? Right. Because that show should be hosted by Mickey Mouse. Mm-hmm. And if the fun wheel like spoke to you for 20 minutes at the end of a long day,
0: Disney magic. Yeah. That's true. They could even use that if like if that were incorporated into the show World of Color or something else. That could almost explain away why that situation is, right? Like yeah. why it's Mickey on a Pixar thing and yeah.
1: Well, what if it was Mickey's like, "Hey, Welcome to, you know, Disney's California Adventure. What do you say we have a good time with? All my favorite friends from Pixar. Right, yeah. like Because it, Mickey is the ringleader. Exactly. So, I mean, there's so many different ways you could tell that story. All right, let's move over to one that I know that folks absolutely love. Let's talk about California Screaming. Okay. Right? Here we go. Yep. California Screaming. Would you like to hear what the original promise was? Absolutely. Imagine a roller coaster modeled after the traditional wood coasters of the 1920s. Now add a launch that takes you from 0 to 55 miles per hour in under 5 seconds. A loop-de-loop around a glimmering silhouette of Mickey Mouse's head over a mile of track reaching heights of 120 feet and a 108-foot drop at 50 degrees. Get your protractors out, kids. And you've got
0: California screaming, the adrenaline
1: rush, of a century
0: mm. yeah it's funny reading these and hearing these it's actually pretty accurate i think isn't it because these are sort of generic sort of catchphrase descriptions of these rides right and i think that that's almost like what they delivered on a lot of the stuff which was kind of the problem that these were you know yeah it is like those old roller coasters so what have you done differently here you know yeah right so it's interesting it's, so it's
1: It's interesting because they're bragging about these technical things. Right. But as a true Disney fan, we don't care about technique, technical. That's a six-flag selling point. Yes. It takes you on the first ever six loops. Everything in a roller coaster to market it is, it's first ever blank. The biggest this. Biggest, fastest. It's all about setting records. Mm -hmm. People don't care about a roller coaster. It's like, it's completely average. Yeah. It has to be like monumental. So this is really pitching for... I don't know. It, I love the way this attraction looks, but it's always felt very not Disney to me. Yeah. Because it's just a straight up roller coaster, out of the box thrill ride.
0: Yeah. And I would think like you'd think of every attraction at Disneyland, you can say, this ride transports you to this, takes you right? somewhere. And this one is just saying, like, hey, remember that old roller coaster?
1: Right. <laughs> now, something they did do when we look at the design of it is that it's a steel roller coaster. Yeah. But they use the design. Of a wood coaster. Mm-hmm. So most steel coasters have like very tall vertical beams and a little bit of connection, you know, horizontally and some supportive X's. Right, right. They overbuilt this thing yeah. to make it look wood. Like if a missile hit Paradise Pier, I have a feeling that thing would still be standing because it's just built
0: overbuilt to, to really sell that look of the, the wood. Beams and yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Now, one of the fascinating things to me about this ride is the technology that went into just giving you the sound, you know, Mm. the soundtrack that's in your headrest. right, right. So there are 108 acoustic devices in each set of carts, right? So each train has high ranges in the headrest, mid-ranges near your ears, Mm. and then there's a subwoofer underneath your seat. So oh. you're literally sitting with the sound coming from under you at the back of your neck and at your ears. Ah, interesting. So they really because I mean, think about how loud that ride is mm-hmm. and how that sound works. Now, I don't do well in these type of attractions. Yeah. And to me, the sound was the part that was making me have a panic attack. because I don't feel good. <laughs> and I just wish this noise wasn't happening in my head. But I found that to be absolutely wild. So it's established to be a 20th century time period mm-hmm. roller coaster, right? Like at the beginning of the 20th and the pier. Uh when it when it opened, it was supposed to put guests into the heyday of the great seaside amusement parks. But it's kind of hard to figure out when this heyday was mm. because there's so many different styles going on. Right. So I try to think about it this way. When that was built, it had a generic queue it had a completely generic sign that would have been forty years newer than what the ride is supposed mm-hmm. to be from. Right. It was the loading station was so bland it looked like Six Flags, and before Cars Land, when you were really cruising on this thing, yeah, you were like rolling around a parking lot
0: because <laughs> it was on <laughs> right. the outer edge. I mean, it right. was right
1: at the edge. And before they really fixed the scream tubes for the storytelling. You could see out all the time of this thing, Uh, and you're right on the edge. So it just, to me, it just, out of the gate, it just didn't really have much inspiration to it. Later on, when they would build the Toy Story mania down there and add in all that Victorian, kind of would anchor it all together. right? But if you think about it as a standalone piece... I know a lot of people have passion for it because it's so exhilarating and they love roller coasters and the mm. roller coaster people. But if you judge it aside from those emotions and judge it as a Disney piece, it's a colossal failure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a mishmash. Like, uh, and then when adding the Victorian, which is great, it, it still, I think it emphasized it even more with a lot of it because like you said, like with the sticker aspect on the cards and. Like the roller coaster itself, almost had a more like 1950s Beach Boys kind of feel than yeah. it did Victorian, you know. So it was like a like you said, a mishmash of time periods and stuff. So, huh.
1: So the ride itself is two and a half minutes long. Oh, really? That's two it? minutes and thirty seconds is the the track time on it, and because they use it as a steel coaster, even though it looks like a wooden one, it breaks all kinds of records. It's the fastest park at the, or fastest ride at the Disneyland. Uh, Resort. Okay. It's one of the fastest rides Disney's ever made. Uh, At 6,072 feet long, it's the longest inverting roller coaster in the world. Hmm. It's the eighth longest roller coaster in the world. Really? So as far as a roller coaster goes, it's actually a very successful roller coaster. And it's the third longest steel coaster in the United States. So it actually is... Impressive. An impressive roller coaster, which makes me say... Enjoy it as that, but judge it as a Disney attraction. Right. Like, put that next to Indiana Jones, and you see a world of difference, Mm -hmm. a massive world of difference. Uh, Another fun fact for you the original countdown. Five, four, three, two, one, scream! (laughs) Neil Patrick Harris. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. little little Doogie hauser to send you off on your trip. He's everywhere. Absolutely. Now, this is one of my favorite fun facts about this attraction. And this is me putting all the pieces together on my own. Is that, do you remember the old Mickey Mouse head that used to be on the side of it?
0: On the side of the, the loop? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember the texture of that? Uh, I don't know. It was almost, no. It, was,
1: it was the metal
0: yeah, of Spaceship right. Earth. Okay, I was going to say Spaceship Earth, but then I thought Epcot people are going to scream at me and say, no, no, no. So it was that same sort of metal. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah. You know, the
1: triangle. Right. The, make... the diamond. Yeah. And what was supposed to originally be built there was a giant Spaceship Earth. Mm. So it was our a... West Coast Spaceship yeah. Earth. Okay. So that was a very hidden nod nod to what it used to be.
0: Yeah.
1: But think about this. Huh. That's the best conclusion I could draw from that thing. And it's (laughs) not here anymore. Think about when we talk about other attractions and the legacy and the history and the secrets that are hidden in it. Yeah. And that's all I got for that. And that's been removed. (laughs) Right. So now it's legacy-less. So here's the history of it. It's an opening day attraction. Although over the years, a few things did change. The biggest change involved the decoration behind the loop. In 2009, a painted sun was mm-hmm. put there to echo the Toy Story Midway Mania, replacing the silhouette of Mickey Mouse's head. Right. Along with a Paradise Pier sign where Mickey's ears had been. Uh, the standard onboard audio track for California Screaming was temporarily replaced. Did you ever do this when they did the Red Hot Chili Peppers takeover?
0: Oh, no.
1: Yeah, in 2007, there was a campaign, Rockin' Both Parks campaign. <laughs> they played Red Hot Chili Peppers music on that attraction, and on Space Mountain, they mm. played Higher Ground. Red Hot Chili Peppers signed the deal, got paid, all of their friends started making fun of them for being at Disney Park, and they threw a shit fit to oh. get them to cancel it and to pull out. A- really? Yeah. Yeah, that's a <laughs> fascinating story about how they bailed on that. <laughs> So it would stay California Screaming from opening to early 2018. It would then close and it reopened as the Incredicoaster later on that very same year. Uh, The opening of the Incredicoaster was realigned as the grand opening of the Pixar Pier. So this is sort of the big signature change. And coincidental, Incredibles 2 came out. Now, does Incredibles 2 lasts the long haul like is that a movie of major cultural significance
0: Hmm. well i mean i think the first one probably does more so than the second one uh the the ride itself uh, i don't know that it's that dependent on the films i mean i think they're looking at like especially with all these films sort of like the toy story films they don't look at it as separate films they look at it as one right giant property of all these characters um so i mean I, I do have problems with this re-theming, but I will let you go on before I jump into my <laughs> beef with this. What I do like about the re-theming from last year
1: is that little courtyard now where you go into the attraction. Mm-hmm. I love that fountain wall with the metal sign yes, on it. Right. I really, really like that. Jack Jack's Num Nums is a delicious treat. Absolutely. Uh, the, The sign that you walk under that has all of the color and everything is great. And the two little show buildings that they built. Both their, like, A-frame home, those Palm Springs sunbreaks that are out there. Right. And then, uh, is there, what's her name? Is it Elda the Villain? Ed,
0: oh, Edna Mode is the yeah. fashion. I don't mode. watch the cartoons. Right, I know. <laughs> uh,
1: but her little lair over there yeah. is cool, and I, you don't have to ride it to look over the edge and see it.
0: Right. Which is very cool. I didn't know that, yeah.
1: All of that is, is very, very fun. But I want to ask you, as somebody who's wrote it, can you really... Tell a story on a ride that's that fast. Like when you go through those scream tubes, Mm -hmm. do you get to interact with the
0: characters or does the story like follow you? Like how successful is that? Because I haven't wrote it. You get some stuff in the audio, mostly, right? So you get the the dialogue, not dialogue from the film per se, but they're they're talking. The characters' voices are talking to you and explaining, like, oh, there's Jack Jack. It's like when you go through the tube, and there's some scent things that they they put the cookie scent is is piped in and stuff like that. But like you say, it, it's going so fast that uh, there isn't much story to catch, really. Right. Um, but it's just that there's they've added these figures in, and they don't move, I don't think, really, or anything. And yeah, so like. It makes sense that they had to retheme this thing to fit Pixar Pier and stuff, and it's fine. that It's the Incredibles. My, my main problem with this thing is that it's this mid-century modern, heavily mid-century modern thing, which is very cool and nicely designed, plopped down in this sort of Victorian era Pier again. It's a clash. Yeah, and there's no transition to that. No. There's no explanation for that other than, well, this is the look of Incredibles, so we have to put it here. So while I think that house is very cool, I almost wish they did something else. To to represent uh, this film,
1: it's it's very interesting because it's successful as a standalone piece, mm-hmm. but it's disjointed with everything that's around it. Right. You know, right. and when you look at Cars Land, that really only has three attractions, mm-hmm. and this area has five. Right. And a nighttime show and so much more. Cars Land feels a lot more cohesive because For it sure. has discovery in it. You can't kind of see it all it's you know there's parts that are laid behind other parts and you got to do a little turn and you know Radiator Springs is a big reveal and part of the problem of Paradise Pier is it's it's a strip mall layout Uh huh. everything's on an outer perimeter attraction 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 it's just they're all laid out together so one of the things that I always love about Disneyland is the S curve mm-hmm. right like you got to go around this thing to get to something right. else there's no S curve here Right. So there's no sort of hiding the next piece from the other piece. It's just thing to thing to thing. And that beautiful like plaza wall that I love with the Incredibles like logo and the water fountain, that's just a wall to save you from seeing the Toy Story neighborhood that's on the other side of it. Right. I mean, it's cool, but I can still see the top of that attraction. Like Mm. I'm not completely hidden. Like, Grizzly Peak running through the middle of the park which is a fantastic barrier that immediately makes you feel like you're either in the redwoods or over in old-timey LA. Mm-hmm. So right. it it's kind of doomed from the beginning in the plot of land that it
0: was given. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so like even like that like you say that's a great example is that that fountain sign thing that is not something that's in the movie Mm-mm. and it doesn't make sense where it is like so that's i mean the incredibles don't have their logo on, on a, on a thing. fountain yeah in front yeah. of their house or whatever so like it just looks great though like it looks fantastic but it doesn't make sense if that's what they're doing it doesn't fit the victorian theme barely fits the incredibles theme so i i think that is sort of systematic of what all the problems are across the pier, which we'll probably dive into as we go through each attraction. But um, that's the like problem I have with it, because I like the individual parts, but as a cohesive piece, there's there's something wrong.
1: And once again, going back to my main thesis today, is we would not be allowed to do this if we were Imagineers working in Disneyland.
0: Right, right. It,
1: it just wouldn't work that yep. way. They wouldn't do this. It's not allowed. It's out of bounds. Mm-hmm. So I'm just so curious to why the rules are so relaxed across the way. I mean, is this... I mean, it's always going to be the JV Park if they treat it that way. Let's move on to Toy Story Mania. Very good. Toy Story Mania, formerly known as Toy Story Midway Mania. Radical change there. This is a long ride, five to six minutes, Mm -hmm. and one of the worst waits you'll ever have. (laughs) It's labeled as an interactive 4D theme park attraction. The attraction features five mini games, okay, Mm -hmm. after your first practice round. Each of the rounds has an Easter egg, which then can trigger additional targets or gameplay challenges. Right. So the first act that we go through is this, the Pie Throne practice booth. Pie toss target practice game, no points. It just kind of gives you an idea how it works. Next is Ham and Eggs, Hmm. the egg throw game featuring Buttercup from Toy Story 3. (laughs) Number three is Rex and Trixie's Dino Darts. Love it when you hit the darts and the, the air. Yeah, yeah I love yeah. that that practical effect. More of that. Yeah. Absolutely. Number four is the Green Army Men, where you're shooting the the uh, baseballs at the plates, and then they end with the headliner Buzz Lightyear's flying ring toss, where you're throwing the toss. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry, the actual end is Woody's rootin', tootin', shootin' the gallery one, which yeah, yeah, you're yeah. kind of moving the right, whole time the on that one. You end, yeah. don't actually get that that standstill there. Um, this is one of the most technical, sophisticated attractions ever developed by the Walt Disney Imagineering. They spent a nearly $80 million to design this attraction. Oh, it's a lot wow. of money. A lot of money. It's one of the biggest ride systems that's ever been built, and it's one of the most advanced ones at the same time. The ride system has three major components there's a ride system for the actual vehicles right so there's like a whole set of like computers and technology that moves the ride vehicles there's a secondary level of technology that makes the gameplay work and then there's another one for all the special effects like Mm. that air pop thing that we were talking about right so the way this works this is absolutely wild is that there's programmable logic controllers in the vehicles, right, that it wirelessly reports back to the computers the vehicle's speed and exact location. Huh. So the gameplay system has to know where the ride is at at all times mm-hmm. yeah. for the gameplay to actual work. That makes sense. The central controller then sends its instructions back to the vehicle using a hardwired network within the track. So the track system actually has, like, Ethernet running through it. So as the cart is going through, it's always tethered in. It's not a wireless system. That technology wasn't really there. And you can only imagine if all that ran on Bluetooth, you'd get one good gameplay every time you came.
0: It is literally wired? Wired. That's crazy because the way those carts move...
1: Yeah, that seems. But nuts. think about it: the the carts move on top of the uh, base stays. stays this,
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah.
1: that wiring goes through there. The attraction features more than 150 PCs, which includes one HP Windows PC for each Midway Mania of the 56 screens. So you've got 150 PCs in there, and each video screen is running through its own actual computer. Can oh, you imagine yeah. the tech? people that they have that work on this. Yeah. And the game screens, there's two tracking systems that provide game control within the vehicle's exact location. Once again, knowing where the vehicle is at yeah. and making sure that the gameplay is not affected by the most minor difference in where the vehicle supposed to be. Mm-hmm. That's why when you're slowly going in, you can still keep shooting.
0: Because right.
1: think about how bad it would suck if you had to like lock into place
0: yeah. Yeah. before
1: you could actually play. So the fact that they went the extra mile to make it always interactive, no matter whether it's broken or going slow, right? that's right. genius. Because if it only worked when you're locked in place, that would be pretty lame. Yeah. Then additional sensors in the spring action, the shooter that you have, provide information and orientation, which is fine-tuned using the data position on the ride vehicle. So in the ride vehicle... Your shooter is sending information down, which then goes through the system that goes back over to the video screen that you're inside of. (sighs) Crazy. And then because the game is software-based, changes can be made to the attraction Mm -hmm. without a lot of extra hassle, which why doesn't this attraction have a
0: holiday version? Well, that's what they touted this. This was a big point, I remember, when it came out, that they could sort of drop in new games and change it, you know, new movies and things like that. And I think they did adjust for something. Um, But, yeah, nothing dramatic or, like you said, a holiday version. Even if it's just once a year that you get this, like, Nightmare Before Christmas thing, like the layover.
1: It would be absolutely amazing. So here's the thing. This isn't a new, or this wasn't... um... On opening day. This was something they added later on into the park. So what was in this space beforehand? Because it's built into the side of a roller coaster. Right, right. Three of the worst businesses that they ever put in California Adventure. Uh, Pacific Ocean Photos, which when I looked up the history of that, it was laughable. You go in, you get photos taken in front of a green screen, and they put you on the beach. Uh, Yeah. For... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what a reaction. Good times. <laughs> For a park that caters to California people? Yeah. You really need that beach pick. <laughs> you probably live near a beach. Strips, dips and chips, which was like a fish fry type place. Oh, okay. And then gosh, Malibu Ritos, which was a burrito place that after about 8 months it was never officially closed down, but it was never really open. <laughs> so there was three businesses in there that they cleared it out to put in this attraction. And this was the most significant, you know, enhancement to make this part of the park come to life. Like this was their first big move to try to save something. But another first for this attraction is, is that this is the first ever attraction that was created simultaneously for Walt Disney world Mm. and Disneyland at the same time. You would think, Oh, well they're doing that to save money because it was $80 million. Right. If you look at this ride, it's completely different because it was being crowbarred into two different footprints. So a lot of different mm-hmm. problem-solving on the uh, the show queue to get into the ride and the actual layout of the tracks. Right. Because here at DCA, as always – You're always building into a mess.
0: Right, right. So, you
1: know, they cleared out three shops. They're tearing out some stuff backstage. They're like trying to shoehorn it in there and make it work. So, even though it was designed at the same time, a very different design. So, this attraction is at three of the parks. It opened up in 2008 Mm -hmm. at Disney's Hollywood Studios. It opened up here at California Adventure uh, later on in 2008, June 17th. And then it opened up at Tokyo Disney Sea Mm -hmm. at the Tokyo Disney Resort. In 2012. Yeah. yeah, The facade of that one looks fantastic. It is.
0: And they have the whole kind of pure Victorian era thing going on there too. Uh, In May 2010,
1: they actually replaced the dart throwing game to bring in characters from Toy Story 3. Okay. But that's the only game update we've had, even though it's very easy to change the the play. Right. Hmm. So when you look at the design of this, right? That facade that they put mm-hmm. on the the show building, the signs, the immaculate painting, uh, you know, the different like every piece of it has a different paint level to it. Like mm-hmm. it's a building that's on par with Main Street USA. Right. Like yeah. they really put a lot into the facade of that. And I think that when you look at the pier as a whole, that area is really kind of telling you. The era that you're at, yep. sort of the decade that you're from, like that era right there is really is telling you what's going on. And now it feels like everything around it is f- conflicting it and fighting against it, which mm-hmm. is very, very wild. Um, in the room where the guests return their 3D glasses, the the exit is where you actually get the story for uh-huh. the ride, right? which it's kind of... There's not a lot of that that happens in DCA of what's the story of the ride. Yeah, right. Uh, they definitely have been trying to put that in the newer, you know, refreshes like Guardian of the Galaxy. Uh, you know, you go through the collector's collection. Right, right. You know, once again, that was a promise that we're going to rotate this stuff out on the reg.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> so when you actually leave the attraction next time, look over in that little living room area. And if you look into the floor, there's actually the box for the game experience you just went through.
0: How effective do you think that is? Zero. Yeah. I think it's zero. Cute idea, like if you kind of look into it and stuff, but yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it's if you look at that box and you know to now look for it because we told you to look for it or somebody else told you to look for it, uh, it's fascinating. It's got everything that you just experienced for the last six minutes with your friends and family and loved ones on that box, but most people are... Heads down, looking at the iPhone. What did I miss on Instagram? (laughs) (laughs) Can I get more fast passes off of the app? Like, I don't think people are really looking at that. Um, They should maybe do a little bit of that theming in the actual queue here in DCA, which I refer to as the hell room. Mm -hmm. It's that white room Mm -hmm. with the ceiling fans. (laughs) Below the lights. Right. So as the light is shining, it has to go through ceiling fans, which right. means the lights are flickering. Mm-hmm. Um, it smells like there's too much poop in the pipes in that part of the park. <laughs> kids love Pixar stuff, so there's screaming kids, yeah, and you just yeah. go back and forth and back and forth. And my rule for this attraction is, until, before they put Fast Pass in, because this didn't have FastPass right, for years, right. my rule was only if someone from out of town
0: really wants to ride it yeah that's quite a few quite a few rides there yeah that that room is amazingly terrible um not only from the yeah the the lights and everything but just that you're kind of going back and forth you know like even before you get in there it's a lot of like you're in that same area the worst kind of cues to be the in. misleading switch queue yeah we you exactly. think you're close and you're like
1: oh yeah. man we got eight more of these snick turns <laughs> right, to do. right. Uh,
0: so yeah that is a rough cue
1: yeah one of the things though I, I I do appreciate about it is and it's not always functional, but that very ambitious Mr. Potato Head mm-hmm. character. Yeah. Voiced by the great Don Rickles. It's a really sophisticated mm-hmm. piece of machinery that doesn't seem to work very well. There's really no need for that to be there. Yeah. And yeah. that's when I appreciate it the most. When there's no need for it to be there and they put it there. Right. And sort of having that carnival barker, you know, Trying to get you into an attraction and having it be in Mr. Potato Head with that sort of, you know, carnival type costume on. Mm-hmm. It, it's really, really cool. I, I wish that it worked more and it was effective because he's supposed to spot people in interact. the crowd. Right, right. And interact with them with, you know, pre-recorded bits. Yeah. But um, it most of the time his curtains are closed.
0: Yeah, do you think that that's, like, it makes sense for him as a marker to be out front there, but, like, you end up going past that so fast, and, and you don't really get a chance to sort of enjoy it and stuff like that.
1: that part of the line
0: cruises. Yeah. It,
1: it's weird, like, those posters inside the hell room, yeah. they're nice, but there's nothing for you when you're in that garden area. Right. Except right. for a very loud roller coaster that's yes. cruising by yes. every three yes. minutes, yes. thus adding to the hell effect of this attraction. <laughs> Let's move over to our fourth attraction. Okay. The newly opened Jesse's Critter Carousel. Uh, This opened to the public in 2001. It was King Triton? Triton. Triton. King Triton. You know, I'm a master pronunciator. Mm -hmm. Jared Maruyama. King Triton's Carousel of the Sea opened in February 2001. Uh, It would close 2018, so it had a pretty good run. Yeah. And uh it officially reopened a year later March fifth is when it closed. It took them a year to get Jesse's Critter carousel together. but I think when we're looking at today, you can see that they really this is their first big massive rollout for mm. Pixar Pier right right This is the first like reimagine from top to bottom they did a good job
0: with the ride itself is fantastic, I think. Yeah. For, for a merry-go-round, and, and that they could have just left that as the most simple ride just to have a, a merry-go-round there. Yeah, I think they did some, they went to great lengths to make this kind of cute.
1: The new version, uh, they fit a lot into a very small space. I absolutely love the vibrant animals. Like mm-hmm. the molds for the animals are really, really good. Yep. They're primary colors, real big eyes, real yep. inviting. I love the backward skunks. Yep, <laughs> They're so cool that their tails are up because they're getting ready to spray. The bench that has the owl family carved into the back of it is mm-hmm. is great. Uh, if you look at... At the carousel, they installed a handle on top right. to make it look like it's a children's toy where you would push that down and mm-hmm. would make it go. Um, one of the other really nice subtleties to it is the control station where the cast member yes. stands. It's a real building that's painted to look three-dimensional like a toy box mm-hmm. or like an arcade game. Yeah, It's great. Would you ride this? Is this yes. a circle ride? Yeah, could, can- this is circle, but... Slow enough, slow enough, big enough that you know. I could I could go slow and low. That's okay. my rule. The fourteen foot Jesse out front and her cactus and the sign is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's so inviting; it makes you want to go yep. in there. And then, as somebody was born and raised in Kentucky. The soundtrack is right up my <laughs> sleeve. A little hillbilly music. They did something interesting to sort of keep you in this space. There's a mural. Yeah. That, that puts you in there. Although there's a stopgap in the middle of the mural, which is the exit. Mm-hmm. And I wish they could have rerouted where the exit was so that mural was continuous. Wrap around. Because it really breaks it up into four different quadrants when mm. it could literally just be two. Right. You know, right. if it was just like you're in the mural and you're not. But the mural is fantastic. Like the artist that did that did a great job. And they got little bits of Disneyland in there. Yeah, you pointed this out. This was great. With the goat from Big Thunder Mountain. Mm-hmm. Kind of have a little bit of a Big Thunder Mountain vibe in there. I love the new Mickey Mouse shorts where they always put a little bit of the parks
0: yeah. in yeah. there. A lot you know? of nods to the park. Yeah, I
1: love that. So I, I like the when they bring it all together. Um, but, you know, when I look at how this was done. And I think about the problem solving that goes in there. It makes me think we have the right people finally trying to clean this mess up Mm. because a lot of TLC was put into this
0: considering all of the restraints that this project had out of the gate. Right. So here's the thing too, though, with this thing, it's right next to midway mania, which has the, the great Victorian theming. Still, they didn't change that to look like the box that we see upstairs or anything. Um, how do you feel that this very cartoony, which I love, this very cartoony toyish thing, is right next to this Midway Mania thing, where the styles are so different and the scale is different? Yes, we're playing with two different scales, all, even though this is one neighborhood. So even within this neighborhood, we're we're having problems we're breaking with our rules. being cohesive.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would love to do this as artwork and turn it into Disney and see if they would approve it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They'd be like, hey, wait a minute. Could you imagine the red lines that would be all, the scales off. (laughs) Because you're right because we have a Victorian house where the toys are inside the house. Right. Then we have a massive toy laid out on the lawn next to it. But no other big toys anywhere else to do that. When I look at the Toy Story land that was built in Florida Uh or the smaller one that's in Paris, you go into a world where scale is crucial, yeah. like Bugs Land, R.I.P. at right. DCA. Right. This is scatter shot. It's kind of all over the place. And you know, if I had to make other complaints about this, that old Michael Eisner red fence,
0: yeah, around the, the, the attraction, around, yeah. the
1: gating around it. Like, why was that not resin? lumber or sticks things, or twigs kind of, right. you know to make it look more like a ranch or toyish or to toy-ish. Make it look like a toy yeah yeah you know there's some sort of you know toy vibe that could have gone around that um you know i wish that mural was continuous and the old fountains that used to make sense for a triton thing. triton yeah uh, there should be something in those fountains whether it's like you know like a cut out of a paper boat or, or
0: fish or something. fish yeah, or you're, yeah. you're
1: watering the cactus right. you know there should right. be a reason for it to be there and it's just obtrusive and it's in the way one of the sad things about this is that the old triton carousel had panels around the top where each panel was for an old uh merry-go-round in a california park
0: mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i i
1: hate that when you lose that
0: you lose that type of history. So then to be sort of positive about this, what would you see then as the, what What should they have done here? Because this this merry-go-round is fine. Yeah, The, the actual thing, if you took it and put it in the other parks where they have Toy Story, Land, it's fine, it works there. So what's the fix here? Like, would we have been okay with just a Victorian-looking carousel, but it's just decorated with Toy Story themes and Jesse, but not so immersive where it doesn't make sense? I think you got to figure out What your overall plan is. Yeah. For the whole pier. For the whole pier.
1: Let's talk about the emotional whirlwind that's coming, our fifth and final attraction for now. Okay. Let's talk about that because, once again, when I look at the artwork, I'm excited about it. Right. It looks like a really good build-out considering... We're going, this is, this ride's got a lot of back history to it. We're going in the space of the old right? which was the massive drop ride, the most generic thing that they ever put in there that didn't last very long. And it's the actual attraction itself, the mechanics is Flick's Flyers from Bugs Land. Mm -hmm. So there's a good little, like, that's good Disney trivia. This was here, that moved from the other side of the park. And it only gives more breath to the people who go, what they should do. Yeah. They should move Peter Pan over with Snow White. <laughs> Your favorite. You take Snow White, <laughs> and put her on top of Matterhorn's mountain. And then they should take Matterhorn and yeah. just move it over two feet so they could put another walkway in there. Rides <laughs> don't move people, and they're defeating this. But you know. It looks like a very fun re-theme. I love the idea that this is going to be built up on a stage. All of the landscaping and the concept art looks fantastic. Once again, they're building story walls. Yeah. Like how those balls. Right. The Number emotions. Balls. Right. Yeah, How those work. If they actually slide around
0: or if they light up, it's going to be crucial. If they're stationary, it's going to feel cheap. I'm thinking some rows will be like, I think all of them will light up. I think some rows will like move, roll past. Yeah, but not all of them. Maybe. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, And then you know those walls are going to keep you in that neighborhood. Yeah. And then as we look at the rendering, we see the characters from the film, you know, materialize the statues all around it to to put that neighborhood vibe in there. You know, my question for you is: Does this movie franchise
0: have legs? yeah is this do people care about this in 10 years or 20 years i mean like so i'm less concerned about that and more about like does this sort of capture this movie perfectly you know like if it if it's a good it's sort of like how i feel about cars land not a huge fan of the films but boy they did that that lands so well, you right. don't care. It doesn't right. matter. True. You make a great point. So if they did that with Inside Out, regardless of if it's the one that kids are going to love for generations, if they if the ride matched the feeling so well, or just felt like, yes, that makes sense, then I'd be all for it. I don't quite get that from this. It looks like a cute ride, like you said, but I'm more concerned about that than than story elements, so sort of Pixar history kind of thing.
1: This, my big concern with this, and I hope they have figured out how to address this, is How do we ride this attraction? Yeah. Which I won't. Right. How do we ride this attraction and not be burdened by, you know, roller coaster, massive, loud roller coaster? Very loud. How do we go into Inside Out? How do we really feel the emotional whirlwind and not just get a panic mode of I'm listening to two songs at the same time?
0: Yeah. Like,
1: I'm really curious to see how they figure that out because I love the idea of planting an attraction in the twist of another attraction right? that type of layering is what Disney does really really well but I want each to feel like you're isolated and not dealing with because like when we come out on Alice in Wonderland's deck yeah. you know when that outside yeah. stretch For whatever reason, the Matterhorn sounds aren't that
0: loud. No, not at all. You
1: know, you're kind of in that world. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to see how they make this work. So that's your five major attractions today. We've walked you through the history of all these, the design of all these, the tech when needed. A lot of research went into today's episode. (laughs) But now that we've sort of pleaded our case of we got five attractions, fifth one still being constructed a couple of which have assorted history. Mm-hmm. Now let's do this. You have all the facts in front of you, ladies and gentlemen. Let's look at the pier as a whole. Right. Let the Pixar Pier part of our conversation go, and let's look to the future of Pixar Pier and really think about this as part of a Disney park and as a legacy and as something that needs to go 30, 40, 50 years. Can right. it make the stretch? Hey friends, I hope you've enjoyed the free portion of today's program. I'm sure by now you have plenty of your own ideas of what you would like to see happen to Pixar Pier and how you want it to evolve over the future. And because this show is made by friends of the Disneyland community for friends of the Disneyland community, we'd love to hear your ideas. So throw them out on social media and make sure you tag myself or Jared or at AID Podcast. To hear the complete version of today's episode, you're going to need to be a member of the Circle of Trust. Sign up over at AID.network, where you unlock the full version of every episode of Disneyland for Designers, as well as my archive of over 900 episodes interviewing people that somehow turned their daydream into their day job. Coming up in part two, we've got 30 more minutes. Discovering, does this idea of Pixar peer work? Did we lose the peer feeling? Is there room to grow into the future? And what are the creative solutions, the design solutions that could possibly save this land and make it feel like one continual thought, something that was designed with purpose, something that can stay the long haul and keep us walking around this beautiful pier. We're all rooting for it. We all love this part of the park. We all want it just to be perfect. Sign up today at AID.network, become a member of the Circle of Trust, and enjoy all of the episodes in their entirety, as well as 30 more minutes of today's episode. Thank you for listening, and thank you for supporting Disneyland for Designers. My idea for you is this. This is what I want people at home to think. Does this actual idea work? Are the neighborhoods a creative fix, or is it a bad temporary solution. Are the neighborhoods too close? Are they too cluttered? I want everybody at home to think about what it looks like when you walk through there and think does it lack a Disney flow? Hmm. And before you get mad at me and before you go to every part of the park, I love California, screaming I want you to just, in your mind's eye imagine Pixar Pier and now think of Adventureland Right. Now think of Frontierland now maybe think of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Mm-hmm. Think about these type of areas. Think of the village inside of Sleeping Beauty's castle. And now immediately in your mind, stand on the edge of the Pixar Pier. Right, do you right. emotionally feel different? Because I know I sure
0: do. Again, it goes back to like what we were saying about the pieces. So many great pieces. But when we step back like we are right now and we take a look at this bigger thing, right when you come around that corner from the the entrance to Pixar Pier... You get that mid-century modern house. There's the problem right there. So do you jettison right then and there this idea that this is a pier? But then you've got the Toy Story stuff, which is still the Victorian stuff, which is great. But then we're back to that theme again, and then it kind of carries through. There you go. So I think that is the problem right there. It it feels uh, it doesn't feel cohesive maybe that it's a pier, which it's barely a But We get some aspects of it. But right. that's the only thing that's kind of holding it together. The rest is just neighborhoods, as we're calling them. But even that they're almost not big enough to be called neighborhoods, that almost implies a much bigger space where you get more, more Incredibles, more Toy Story, and more Inside Out or whatever the case. You got those games that make sense on a pier, but doesn't make sense anywhere else. And even those... Are all themed to different Pixar properties.
1: When you think of Manhattan, right. Manhattan has amazing neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And this area is Chinatown. Right. And this is our Italian neighbors. And this is like an artsy district, yeah. Soho, and you know all these neighborhoods. Right. And they all fit together because they belong together. Right. The neighborhoods that we're seeing here, it's scattered shot. It's yeah. too many ideas. And so I want to ask you and everybody at home, did we lose the peer feeling when we converted over to Pixar Pier? So mm-hmm. even though you may love Jesse's uh critter carousel because it's right. awesome, but was it better before because Paradise Pier was actually more successful in its nostalgia? And its overall vibe, like Pixar Pier, gets more IP into the park. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, it's more crowded over there than it ever has been. Sure, California Screaming was a fantastic ride that you could get on in about fifteen minutes. Yeah, they had them packed like sardines Mm -hmm. today, and that ride's better to ride at night because of all the lighting
0: effects. For the lighting effects, sure, sure. So
1: one would say that clientele's happy. It's the characters they know it's the the ip that their kids love so are we just being
0: sticklers yes. on the design aesthetic well i i think if you look at if you look at both parks historically uh, i think and correct me if i'm wrong See, i'm thinking this as i'm speaking so you can correct me i'll tell you is this the first time that we're sort of adapting a land because this is technically a land um To various IPs as opposed to the other way around. Say Disney comes out.